On today's show, more DC drama. It it just does not stop. The new DC boss has, has put the word out. He wants to shake things up. He is looking for a new leader to lead DC Entertainment, DC Comics to new heights. And you bet that if he wants it, we, we are going to discuss it. And then a story I have never, ever shared with very, very few people did. Did DC Comics and Image Comics almost merge? What happened that night? Toy Fair 1995, the secret meeting that was set in place, all the players. I am going to lay all of it out for you, tell you exactly how all of it went down on today's Observations. Hey, everybody, this is Rob Liefeld. And you are listening to Raw Observations. Uh, I have been doing comic books my whole life. I have been consuming comic books my whole life. So when I talk to you about comic books, I have uh, some skin in the game. Writing, producing, publishing. Uh, I have worn all the hats. If this is your very first time listening, uh, I, I, I have done X-Force and Deadpool and Cable. Created those characters. Youngblood, Starter and Image Comics with uh, six of my um, peers when everybody thought that we were making the biggest mistake of our lives. And lo and behold, as of this recording, it is 30 years to the day. If you are listening to the day that this is posted, uh, this is April 15th that you are listening to this. That is April 15th, 1992, 30 years ago that Image Comics was launched with the uh, publication of a book that I am super proud of named Youngblood, called Youngblood. We had a giant uh, signing that we held in Golden Apple uh, in Los Angeles, California, there on Melrose. It was a seminal historical store and uh, it blew me away. Uh, my, my, My signing that day went well past midnight it was a day like no other that I had experienced at that time. I was the young guinea pig, the young, you know, Mikey. Uh, let, let him try it. He he'll, he'll he tries everything. I mean, it was really, you know, I was the young, the youngest of the bunch. People ask me all the time, "How much younger are you than you know?" I mean, uh, I'm like 15 years younger than Jim Valentino, 10 years younger than Mark Silvestri. Six years younger than Todd and Jim and Eric. So yeah, I was the baby of the group. I had the least amount to lose. I was on a creative tear, uh, bringing, creating all these different characters and concepts that had worked so well for me in rehabbing my assignment at DC, at Marvel Comics, excuse me, at Marvel Comics, turning New Mutants to the best-selling, record-breaking X-Force. And so my follow-up was my own creator-owned title, uh, everybody rallied around the the Image Comics, uh, uh, the, the title that I came up with for the company, the logo, the design. It all launched that day. You can you can have a memo, you can have a photo, you can have an agreement of when we came together, but the company launched April 15th, 1992. That is when you got Youngblood. That was, by the way, about five years into my career, I had had a stellar, amazing crazy career all in the span of half a decade and it would only improve from then it would only improve from that moment on but but that is um that is when I stepped into the publication end of things 
and and eventually would start my studio. And the great thing is, for longtime listeners, uh, I have done a dedicated uh, uh, podcast on Youngblood. The day that Youngblood was launched, there's no reason for me to revisit it other than these blurbs that I'm giving you during my opening rant. And uh, I've done a dedicated Youngblood podcast. I did about a year ago. I have done a dedicated podcast about all the really super talented guys that Extreme Studios had that um, that 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 these guys went further into comic books. Many of them made best-selling comic books themselves. Also, they went into movies and and animation, uh, expanding their talents. And and the sky has been the limit for so many of them. I was so proud that because of my success with Youngblood and Image, I was able to create a studio in. Orange County in Southern California that fostered so many ridiculously uh, and ridiculously talented, ridiculous talent and ridiculously talented people. So uh, again, I have um, in recent years, you have seen my work back on many different editions of Deadpool on X-Force, a a profit series, a Youngblood series, and also a Snake Eyes, G.I. Joe, because I go where my passion lies. And I really wanted to lean all the way in and do uh, G.I. Joe. And so that was kind of my big pandemic project. Then last year, a 30th anniversary X-Force project. Right now, my best selling, I love saying that, we chart, we, we topped the charts with Deadpool Bad Blood at number one. And now five years later, they're breaking it up, serializing it. The first issue, I got news today before I went on the air that it's sold out. That's also sold out. It's great news. It's fantastic. I'm so touch that 35 years into my career, uh, we are, that, 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 that I am experiencing the same excitement and the same, um, kind of just uh, juice that, that I was experiencing 30 years ago, 35 years ago, 25 years ago. It's just been a blast. Captain America Avengers. I have the best selling Avengers of all space and time as reported by Comicron, the industry leader in um, breaking down statistics and sales. So anyway, you, when you are listening to this show are listening to somebody who has put 35 years worth of miles in the space of comic books and pop culture and have watched uh, as, as creations that were on the page as one character became Ryan Reynolds and they became Zazie Beetz and they became uh, Josh Brolin and my very first contribution to comics, uh, Dove, you know, became Minka Kelly and uh, and we're not stopping there. Uh, and, I'll, and I'll pivot back to Prophet and Jake Gyllenhaal in just a little while. That's one of the big characters that came out of my Youngblood run early on, uh, also 30 years ago. Uh, 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 1992, John Prophet blasted through the pages of Youngblood and is now um, uh, got an amazing director in Sam Hargrave, who's directed the Extraction films and an amazing uh, lead talent, at the just one of the most amazing actors of his generation, Jake Gyllenhaal, set to play John Prophet. But I'm going to circle back to that in a clever way in a little while. But we are here today in my opening rant to dis- to continue discussing the, the 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 upheaval that is the upheaval that is all things DC Comics as DC Comics as we covered in a recent episode Warner Brothers is now on its fir- third owner uh it, it's it's on its third owner in 6 years in 6 years and that is just a a really uh fascinating as well as just kind of almost some semi, you know, worrisome, um, you know, worrisome kind of outlook. If, if you are trying to make under t- entertainment 
in, in games and comics and books and television and streaming and movies as your bosses continue to change. So, you know, Discovery bought Warner's. It, the deal closed last week after the, you know, non-compete or the, 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 the series of investigations about monopolies and the changing of money and the stocks, the trade, the $43 billion, they emerged. David Zaslav is the longtime leader of Discovery. He is the new CEO, the new big boss, okay? He, yesterday, I thought this was all that, that I'd be talking about today, but, but things move so fast. And yesterday turned into today, and today is now, and now it, it, this thing has just ballooned. But we're going to start with what broke yesterday with Mr. David Zaslav. And if you don't know, Warner Brothers obviously controls, uh, you know, all things Batman, Superman, DC Comics, Wonder Woman, as well as Bugs Bunny, all the Space Jam stuff, Yosemite Sam, you know, Daffy Duck. It's a giant cartoon comic book universe, including also Harry Potter, you know, from the New Line branch. Uh, you know, they've got a number of different successful franchises as well. Some of those DC comic book characters go through the New Line branch like Shazam did, does. And of course, uh, next week it says they're starting reshoots on Black Adam because this is a very competitive business. We We all read about the nearly two months worth of reshoots that Doctor Strange went through to deliver us the Multiverse of Madness, which is coming out to us any day now, and no one really knows what to expect. I certainly don't. Even when I speculate it on social media, it gets blown up and out of proportion, but I'm just like you. I am literally like you. I am wondering what is going to become of these movies. I've, I've covered in depth uh, the stakes for this Doctor Strange film, how, how much it has to, has to perform, and we are going to cover that when it happens because the new boss wants the same success as the old boss. And you know who's also looking at that success is David Zaslov at Rival Warner Brothers with his rival portfolio of best-known icons and characters. Uh, David Zaslov, he spoke at Warner Brothers yesterday, okay? And he said, we have the goods, we have the chance to be the greatest media company in the world, invoking the name of his rivals, Netflix and Disney, okay? He, uh, he says, look, it's going to take us a while, but we have one platform that we can take everywhere in the world in every single language. And the thing that caught my eye was when he talked about accountability. And he, and he, and he really talked about the fact that uh, he's going to put his own big boy pants on and, and, and approach things with a no-nonsense uh, attitude. And he's going to demand... Uh, accountability from all his lieutenants. And this sounds like a guy who is extremely, extremely results-oriented, and he um, is coming in with a fire that, that, that you know, clearly his desire, as he invokes the names of Netflix and Disney, is to be a big-time player, a super big-time player in this space. And why wouldn't he? He has the tools. I mean, imagine one day if you woke up and you had access to all of the um, amazing, you know, assets that he now does in regards to you've got Bugs Bunny, you've got Harry Potter, you've got Batman. Um, th these are huge, tremendous assets um, in in this in this portfolio, and and so yesterday he was really all about the accountability. It was all about the accountability, and and how he very much 
you know, wants everyone to, you know, come under his umbrella and in his, in his quote, less red tape, more accountability. That's the exact quote. The new mogul takes helm of the newly minted Hollywood giant. The CEO makes his first moves and signals a much less formal approach. This is not, you know, casual Fridays anymore at Warner Brothers, a less formal approach. He says he wants to call you and get an answer immediately. This is from the Hollywood Reporter. The reporters are Alex Weeprin and George Zlazy and Discovery CEO David Zaslav, uh, you know, uh, made this in a report yesterday. And he says, look, the culture that he's taking over is a bit of a roll up your sleeves, family style culture. He says uh, he wants to meet a more formal environment. And this may ex- explain, this article says, why the newly minted Warner Brothers Discovery org unveiled their, 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 they unveiled their org chart before their deal was closed. He wanted all of you to know who would be answering to him and what he expected. And he elaborates on this. This came out just 24 hours ago. He, 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 he talks also, I mean, there are many executives who did big things. HBO Max was a successful launch, period. It was very controversial, but it stuck the landing. It, it made the decision to give you, during a pandemic, day and date release with theaters, with you know, Kong versus Godzilla with Snyder, uh, the, the Just League Snyder's with Mortal Kombat with Dune. It was controversial, but it, it moved the needle for HBO. They launched a whole bunch of new shows on HBO Max, you know, Peacemaker among them. Uh, but but the people who were behind that, Jason Kalar and Sarloff, they're gone. So he has his own new, um, you know, layer of management. And he is, you know, telling people, I want fewer layers. This is a quote more accountability and singular strategic focus as a global pure play content company. So, you know, that's some bold, some bold statement. It says here, another executive says, look, Zaslav wants someone who knows how to do it. He wants to know how to get it done. Um, He wants to call you and get the answer. And so it says that the top talent that was remaining, like Toby Emmerich at the Warner Brothers Pixel label can be confident that they have the direct line straight to Zaslav and he has a direct line to them. So this guy is aggressive. He wants uh, storytelling journalism at the creative center of everything that he does. Okay, so he's all about storytelling. Well, that was yesterday's news and that faded fairly quickly into today as this exploded. No, Hollywood Reporter got their bite of the apple yesterday and now Daily Variety and industry leader came out. Warner Brothers Discovery explores overhaul of DC entertainment exclusive reporting by Brent Lang and Matt Donnelly. It says the new owners of Batman, Superman, and Wonder Woman are exploring an overhaul of DC entertainment. It's been only a week since they closed their $43 billion uh, deal for Warner media, joining one of the largest producers of reality programming with one of the most venerable entertainment brands under the new moniker Warner Brothers Discovery. I told you last week, it's smart to get Warner Brothers back in there, Warner Brothers back in the name, not Warner Media. People know Warner Brothers. So good first move, Warner Brothers in front of Discovery, even though Discovery bought them. They are have already made really smart moves. It's it's simple, it's minor, but it's smart. Top leadership has been, um, has been toying with the idea of turning DC into its own solidified content vertical. 
Okay. That means that everything blends together, that the streaming shows blend into the films, blend into the games, blend into the animation. Okay. The move would potentially affect DC feature film development in the Warner Brothers picture department, streaming series at Warner Brothers television and the creative arm within DC proper all in all, all in an effort to have the disparate elements more closely aligned in order to maximize the value of the superhero stable often seen as punching up versus their rival Marvel. Before the merger closed, Zazla vetted candidates with experience in creating and nurturing blockbuster intellectual property with the goal of potentially finding someone to serve as a creative and strategic czar similar to what Marvel has with Kevin Feige. One of those candidates, including Emma Watts, I know Emma, I can speak to Emma, a former top film executive at 20th Century Studios in Paramount, does, uh, does not appear to be taking the job. Okay, so Emma Watts was spoken to, but appears to have said pass. One sider suggests that Zaslav was less interested in finding a creative guru and more eager to hire someone who had the business background needed to keep all the different factions at DC working more harmoniously. Let's talk about harmoniously. This is something I can speak to a great deal. So it was announced also yesterday that Black Adam is going back for reshoots. Reshoots are not a big deal. I did an entire podcast on reshoots. Go find it. It's called reshoots. I've been part of reshoots. Both of the Deadpool films had extensive reshoots. They were done in order to capitalize on what people were already reacting positively to and to build on that. Sometimes a reshoot is to fix something entirely, take a new direction. I know for a fact because I was privy to the responses, the scores. I was in the test screenings. I saw the high scores. I saw the um, reactions from the execs and the filmmakers. And for instance, as I told you in the reshoots episode, part of Deadpool 2, the reshoots was they wanted more cable and more domino. Um, Ryan Reynolds himself contacted me. I read through it again to make sure I got it right. He said, congratulations. They love your babies. They love Domino. They love Cable. And we're going to give more of more Cable and Domino to them. Um, there was a test screening in Dallas that showed the earliest cut that I had already seen. And the great news was, in fact, that both Josh Brolin and Zazie Beetz were brought back to expand their roles. I've also told you in that podcast that um, part of the expansion of their roles not only was there more of them in the end and the finale, but more in the middle. The convoy chase scene with Domino jumping onto the convoy and actually going fisticuffs with Cable was not there in the original. The fight that extended to the outside platform where Cable shot his gun and Deadpool whirled his um, swords and the bullets came through the swords and pierced Deadpool. And he's kind of like, why am I doing this? This isn't working. Like the, the shots are still reaching me and like complaining that it hurt. None of that was in the original shooting. I was actually there for that sh original shooting of that sequence. In fact, Black Tom got out of his cell and got into extensive fisticuffs and got his head cut off by Deadpool in the original version of the Deadpool 2 when I was on set watching it. So I knew that when they went back, they were altering certain strategic parts of the story, which ultimately ended with somebody like a Black Tom getting shot through the sarcophagus, through his cell never even making it out anymore. That fight between him and Deadpool was gone, replaced instead by Deadpool, Domino, and Cable kind of all having this three-way fight where, again, Cable throws Domino under the roof of the, you know, convoy and she, you know, using her uh, athleticism uh, and, and, and evades him and, you know, trips him and they are scuffling. I mean, it, 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 is, it, is, a, it is a blast to see how they enhanced every aspect of that film through reshoots. So reshoots 
are there often to take the reactions nowadays of what the audience loves and accentuate it and 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 add on to what's already there so that you even like what you like more. Okay, so Black Adam going into reshoots is not a big deal. Okay, it is not a big deal. And um, and and uh, and 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 yet, my picking on Black Adam is specific. Black Adam has never had a top ten comic in the comic book world. Okay, this isn't like Black Adam is a Deadpool, a Cable, an Iron Man, a Captain America, much less a Wolverine. Black Adam got his own movie because it is the character that The Rock looked the most like. Yes, I said that. I'm going to say that again. Black Adam got his own movie because he is the character that The Rock looked the most like. And they were like, hey, hey, maybe you could play Black Adam. Okay? And the powers that be wooed him into doing this. But did you know that Black Adam does not have a long-standing series? He had one brief like little mini-series about a decade, 12 years ago. He's been kind of a formidable you know, face of certain different uh, storylines and and maybe a, a couple different like, you know, Suicide Squad or Justice Society related books, but he has not never had his own title because there was no demand for Black Adam. He was not a character that um, came out of anywhere in any regard in any demand to facilitate. There was no like, again, oh man, I need I need a Black Adam. No, Black Adam was content in his the history of comics to be a really great sparring partner for Shazam slash Captain Marvel. And they would fight and they would, you know, he would torment Captain Marvel since before the time I got into comic books. My first uh, entanglement with Black Adam was a cover of the Shazam book that DC had started publishing because there was a Shazam cartoon. I mean, a Shazam live action show in the afternoon, Saturday uh, morning, the late slot, at least out here in Southern California, it was in like the, late mornings and uh, Black Adam would appear occasionally in the Shazam slash Captain Marvel, Marvel family books. He did not have his own book at all. Even during the peak of the nineties, there was no Black Adam series because there was no demand. Again, I, I really want you to understand this as if it is a fact because it is a fact. Then the rock is a giant movie star. This starts as, this goes as far back as when he gets his second um, wind in, th- in, in, in the movie business. Cause a lot of you remember, you know, the tooth fairy and some of the other movies that he was doing, he wasn't exactly knocking it home at the box office, but when the rock, you know, stepped into fast five, it was this perfect alignment of character franchise and it exploded And his, his role as Hobbes, created the moniker franchise Viagra. Okay. Which he deserved. It was great, great way to, I mean, it was one of the greatest kind of phrase coins, uh, that I had seen in a long time. And me and my friends as, as probably you and your friends would be like, that's, that's hilarious. Franchise Viagra. Well, so the rock then kind of, there's a, there's a saying in the business about retroactively or working, you know, reverse engineering, reverse engineered his, desire to be a character that looked, you know, that resembled him in Black Adam. And he began pursuing this role. That is not the Kevin Feige way of doing things. Kevin Feige, even stubbornly so, will keep something that you want, let's say the X-Men movies, off the table, you know, three to four years after Disney has consumed Fox because it is not time yet. It has not been time in his timeline to introduce this. He didn't 
create an Ant-Man series for you because Paul Rudd was coming off a successful string of films and said, hey man, I want to be a character and, and I think I would be best as Scott Lang. That's not the Marvel way. The Marvel way is to develop things so far out as to build and fit things into their structure and have the comic books reflect it way in advance. For instance, Ultimate Spider-Man. Ultimate Spider-Man, the relaunch that launched the Ultimate Universe in the 2000s was done specifically. Uh, and, and again, this is confirmed by Bill Jemis at the time because they knew the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man movie was happening. It was about to film. It was going to come out the next summer. They didn't want to be seen as jumping on with some movie adaptation. They wanted to be seen as going alongside what you are going to identify with as the new, most popular, familiar version of that character. How do I know this? Well, they had the script. You don't think that Marvel was able to get an advanced read on the script? The script takes Spider-Man all the way back to high school. Well, in the comic books at the time, Spider-Man is a middle-aged adult, okay? He is a middle-aged adult dealing with middle-aged adult things, and there's no reason to change course on that because Marvel Comics' business is comic books, and they want to they want to um, service the comic book community that has put their trust in them that they're going to continue to, you know, uh, uh, trade off the familiarity and the loyalty that they've shown to the characters in the library and the series, okay? But now they have a chance. Create a side pocket where we can have our cake and eat it too. You can have 34-year-old 34 Spider-Man dealing with ancient evils and longtime foes, but we are going to launch a new platform that we're going to get going 10 months prior to the Tobey Maguire, Christian Dunst movie hitting that you get to see Spider-Man as a young man. And so in the late, in late 2000, with just one year to go, you know, from one year, 14 months, they give you Spider-Man. He's in high school again. He's with you know, his high school chums, Mary Jane, it's more youthful. That's because they know what you're about to get with the Sam Raimi Spider-Man. It's synergistic. It's synergy. It's the two companies working together. We've got this coming. We're going to do this. Also, how do I know this? Marvel was furious that they did not have enough products to reflect the success of the original 2000 X-Men Brian Singer film that launched Hugh Jackman and so many other careers. Uh, because they didn't think that the movie was going to work, quite frankly. Marvel, the word on the street was it's going to be another misfire and we don't have to worry about putting resources into it because it's going to come and go and we don't want to be associated with something that's embarrassing. Hugh Jackman himself has talked openly a couple years ago. He gave an interview where he talked about how his agent told him not to tell anyone that he was in the X-Men film. He'd already shot it. He said, don't tell anybody as you go out, to the, out for these other roles, these other leading romantic roles, that you're in a superhero film because they didn't believe that it was going to be successful, and so they wanted to protect him. So he laughs and scoffs, and this is also another argument where no, Blade did not jumpstart the Marvel Cinematic Universe. Blade had no impact on any other movies whatsoever. I was just meeting with a friend yesterday who was an executive in the business at the time. He greenlit Blade. It was seen as a cool concept, but mostly a horror-slash-vampire film. If Blade had had the success that people say it did in 1998, this, the summer of 1998, then no one would be going around hiding the fact that they were in comic book films, much less Hugh Jackman, who is the star of the X-Men film that is out in the summer of 2000. Do you understand how like logic just crashes in on all these myths? Hugh Jackman's agent is out telling him, don't tell anyone you were in a comic book film, much less you know that you're an X-Men or Wolverine. Then it came out. 
and it was big and Marvel had nothing to really capitalize on. The publishers want to have something when something is working and is number one at the box office and driving the box office dollars and, and chugging towards 100, 150 million domestic at a time where that number was truly impressive in the early 2000s prior to us getting the 300 and 400 and a billion dollar in these grosses. I mean, stuff that, 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 that wasn't even realistic for the Star Wars franchises at the time. You know, the summer of 1999 did not see those kind of numbers, a billion dollars, you know, for even the most, you know, anticipated of the Star Wars films. And you don't get more than the Phantom Menace that hadn't been out in umpteen years. And it was a return to glory for the Star Wars universe getting another cinematic chapter. So Marvel didn't have anything. Suddenly X-Men turns out to be great. People like it. Well, they're in the middle of a multi-tiered, very thick, densely plotted storyline that's hard to jump in. So there's nothing that no one can point to and go, jump here, jump here. And the trade paperback revolution had not yet yet quite taken hold. So Marvel now is not going to miss out on the second bite. And Bill Jemis told me all of this at lunch, Chicago 2000, in the cafeteria as we are eating our lunch. And he tells me we're not going to make that same mistake twice. He said heads were going to roll over the mistake on the X-Men, it felt a little punitive because, again, they were trying to be cautious and maybe save Marvel money. But in the end, having nothing brand new, not not an adaptation. The adaptations, they did that, you know, uh, those, those aren't the best way to capitalize. The best way to capitalize is to have something that's exciting and new that you go, oh, yeah, and, 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 and this is happening in the comic book space. And it's more organic and you'll totally dig this. And this is great. One of the things that, again, Bill Jemis was very clear was that he wanted something that capitalized on the school aspect. The one thing that everybody loved about that original Brian Singer X-Men film was how palatable it made the school. Having Wolverine arrive at the school and walk through every aspect of the school, down the hallways into the classrooms, he saw, and they went out of their way to show you where the jet is stored and how the basketball court folds up and open and the, the jet flies out of it. It was like Harry Potter school for superheroes. And there was nothing in the comic books that was um, able to be as digested as that was to an audience who was like, this is pretty cool. Wait, there's a superhero for schools. Marvel had moved beyond that. They didn't have anything currently at that time to kind of go, oh, you like that part of the film? Yeah, we've got like, you know, new students. It would have been a perfect time to have Wolverine and the X-Men, you know, number one launching. So they weren't going to get caught, you know, by surprise twice. The Ultimate Universe was being launched. Young versions of the characters would be available to get on board with and the trades would already be there. So six, you know, two collections of six issues, seven issues each so that when you go see the Tobey Maguire Spider-Man and you love it, you walk into the store and they go, oh, help yourself to this. This is Spider-Man in high school. It's recent. It just came out and he's fighting all the familiar characters and it's kind of a reboot of all the Stan Lee and Steve Ditko stories, which is really what it was. It was a go back and retell those same stories with a more modern sensibility. And they did. And they were ready. That is kind of the reverse engineering planning. And you go, well, life, that's not how it went down. No, it's absolutely it's how it went down. I told you I was going to bring back The Prophet and the Jake Gyllenhaal screenplay of it all. I have read my third excellent draft of the screenplay that features John Prophet, launched from the Youngblood series and and then the hugely selling Prophet series. I have read those scripts. I know exactly what you're going to get. I will follow the same pattern. And once 
the Prophet movie goes into production, it will be the perfect time to start rolling out the new Prophet series that will be available and it will have several issues in trade paperback by the time the Prophet movie arrives so that audiences go, hey, what, what can I get that reflects this, this, this new movie that's out? Well, you'll get it right here because I have the script. The script is written years before the cameras start rolling and every movie production takes at least a year prior to you seeing it. It takes a year to shoot, then maybe six to seven to nine months in post, and then you get it. So there's a lot of lead time. So in this way, this is what I'm talking about. Marvel was already starting to plan for the the world that we live in, the Marvel universe that they are the dominant force in pop culture of. Uh, that was being planned back in the 2000s with the launch of the Ultimate Spider-Man, Ultimate X-Men. Okay? And, and again, they read the screenplay. They knew what the movie was going to be. They knew what they were going to shoot. But they, 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 they get to wink, wing, and nudge you and go, hey, yeah, of course we knew he was going to be young and high school oriented again and, you know, these villains and all that cool stuff. Because, again, they have the screenplay. They have read it. They have cleared it. They have to give the sign-off on it with John Prophet and the, and, the, and the screenplay. Of course I'm going to read it and have input and, and have feedback. So I know exactly what you're going to get before you're going to get it. And like Marvel, I will be there to capitalize on it. Black Adam is not that model. Black Adam is, hey, I want to do this. Oh, cool. Black, the Rock is a giant star. Black Adam is a, an identity that we can do some fun stuff about, even though there is zero demand for Black Adam outside of The Rock appearing as Black Adam. So now let's start. And again, I got an, an, a notice that Black Adam will have comic books that reflect, you know, the upcoming Black Adam movie featuring The Rock. And of course, because now Hawkman and some of the Justice Society members are in the Black Adam movie, the cover that they showed has Hawkman alongside Black Adam. Again, so it's it's Black Adam is happening because a movie star decided that's the character that I can pull off the best that would reflect both my physicality, my interests, my resemblance, and we'll make a movie based on that and then we'll reverse engineer and get that out to you. Now, this is how Marvel would do it. Marvel would say, we have these characters. They're called the Guardians of the Galaxy. We want to capitalize on them. We think going to space in year five of our cinematic build-out of our, you know, cinematic universe will be the right move no one sees coming. And we'll introduce talking raccoons and talking trees, but, you know, we need them to band together in the comic book first. So here's where we want to go with this. Let's get this together four to five years before we bring it on screen so that when people see it on screen, again, we'll have it collected. We'll have gotten into the hardcore buying public's consciousness that the people who seek this stuff out are the first adopters they're gonna they're gonna know what we're doing because they're gonna already have these guardians of the galaxy comics with this guardians of the galaxy movie lineup that didn't exist prior to us deciding this is how we wanted to go with the movies this didn't exist until we wanted to go in that direction well we're going to get it to where we needed to go by doing the comics for the next three to four years so that when the movie comes out, people will be like, oh yeah, that's this Guardians of the Galaxy that I've been collecting since this crossover, since Annihilation. Yeah, okay? That's the Marvel way. Plan it out. Get it going. Get your get your pieces in place. And then launch the franchise with the cinematic component behind the scenes scheming alongside you. That is not currently what you have at DC. That is what this guy wants. That is the familiarity and the synergy that the new president of Warner's Discovery is looking for that specific synergy. Plan ahead, 
tell me that I'm going to get to this place with this these characters and let's start building it. Let's do it on the page. Let's do it in, in, in the comic books. Let's build the foundation there while we are preparing to get there and make that a destination, destination with our cinematic choices. And by the time we get there, we'll have had an army of fans who are excited about this because they have already come together because you need that base. You want that base more and more and more. The people, why you hear the name, and we've covered this on this show many times, why you hear the name IP, 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 intellectual property. It's because it exists. It's an existing thing. It's something that you're familiar with, that they are counting on you bringing your fan base in some way, shape, or form. And when I am at my shows and I'm signing comics and I see the dads and they come up, I can't wait for that profit. I can't wait to bring my nine-year-old. I love profit. He was my favorite when I was 15 and now I want to bring my nine-year-old, okay? That's a base. Again, Marvel and DC have the biggest of these bases, but they are not lost to everything that's going on in comics and especially the 90s stuff had the biggest sales of all, okay? But this is what DC currently does not have. Now, they have some real creative geniuses. Somebody like a James Gunn who was available to them because he was kind of in the timeout box over at Marvel when they were going through some very uh, just, uh, 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 how do I say this, just conservative thought, I guess, for lack of a better, better term. They, they put James Gunn in a timeout. Well, the, the powers at Warner Brothers said, come work for us, come apply your magic to us. James Gunn is a singular uh, visionary talent. He has a certain way that he sees and views things, and it's very personal, and it has a very uh, personal reflection of his tastes, and he can make things happen and put it together and make them click, and it's a combination of humor and and violence and bravado and heart, and and he does that in an, in an amazing fashion. So they put him together on Suicide Squad, and everyone agrees that the Suicide Squad that he put together uh, with Idris Elba about a year ago was a far better uh, version than what we eventually got because we never truly got David Ayer's cut, David Ayer's cut, because um, I'm going to tell you right now, I've seen Suicide Squad three, four times. It does not resemble any David Ayer work before it. It it just does not. It does not reflect anything. Um, And I've seen all the David Ayer films and Suicide Squad is clearly heavily edited heavily compromised from the director's vision. He will tell you this. Uh, there is an air cut in the same way there is a Snyder cut. I'm not suggesting that it's a solution. I am suggesting that the James Gunn, The Suicide Squad, Squad movie was a, 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 a more cohesive vision. Um, and and I, I felt it, it clicked. It worked better. And while it was probably too soon to put it in theaters, given the conditions of the time, I was shocked that it was not received better because it's really excellent. There is no denying that what he has done with the Peacemaker has defied all uh, just expectations as people just had their minds blown at, at, a, at a long-form version of James Gunn's talents. And he certainly flexed. And, and by giving the Peacemaker, it, it actually retroactively made Suicide Squad, Suicide, The Suicide Squad, which was already great, as I said, even better. And then Peacemaker was, was, was a revolutionary piece of, of, of character bit in regards to anything in the DC catalog, because nothing felt like this. So really, you know, maybe James Gunn's your guy. Maybe he's the guy you throw all the money to and say, put it all together. It's it's certainly within the realm of possibility, you guys. It's not without the realm of possibility 
that 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 is the style of person that they are seeking. But going further into this Variety article about the rehaul, he says, uh, you know, in regards to the people who they've talked to and, and turned down, he says, uh, Zaslav, the new Discovery Warner bo- boss, believes the success of the merger, one that has left the company highly leveraged, will rest in no small part on unlocking the full potential. You got to say it in this book. On unlocking the full potential of the DC Comics universe of characters. Discovery insiders believe that although DC has achieved cinematic success with recent recent films such as Aquaman and the Batman, it lacks a, a coherent creative and brand strategy. Discovery believes that several top-shelf characters such as Superman, have been left to languish and need to be revitalized. They also believe that projects like Todd Phillips' The Joker are a shining example of how second-build characters from the DC Library can and should be exploited. Margot Robbie's Harley Quinn is another example, although most people believe Birds of Prey was not anywhere near as successful in the same way that Todd Phillips' The Joker series was. The one thing in talking to my friends, they, they all agree, the great thing about uh, what DC has been doing is it's leaning into its R-rated status. Both Peacemaker, Joker, and the Suicide Squad really went all in in the same way, come on, that Deadpool did. And people found it to be very refreshing. And as the father of teenage boys who grew up on the Marvel Universe, they are already craving stuff that is more adult in the same way that you and I grew up and out of Star Wars and into Predator and RoboCop. Um and Total Recall, and the Die Hard films, and more R-rated material, because that's where our heavy focus was, and, and, and should have been, because we grow up, we grow out, we want stuff that's a little more dangerous than maybe what was given us to us before, and I, and I believe Deadpool came out at the right time, at the right place, about five years into the Marvel Cinematic U, and it was raunchier, more dangerous, more violent, and audiences dug it up, it was a different flavor, DC certainly can expand its R-rated aspect of its universe because they already are among their most successful. I mean, you cannot argue with that crazy Joker success. Again, I've, I've, I've told you, and it, it, it's something that everyone talks about. Is Joker even more popular than Batman with his anarchist, anarchistic uh, outlook? I mean, it, certainly every time the Joker comes to play, people lose their heads. And... The Matt Reeves, I'm not sure under this regime, Matt Reeves turns in a nearly three-hour cut of the Batman. You hear stories about long cuts and Marvel, you know, whittling them down. Even their longest movies, they've tried to make shorter. It, 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 it's understood when something as, you know, as chock full of content as Infinity War or Endgame, wrapping up a giant, you know, mission of movies, of connective pieces over the years has to be that long. But maybe the first time out with a brand new movie, you don't release the three-hour cut. Maybe you go a little lighter. Maybe you go, you make it a little more palatable because the one thing across the board that people on the new Matt Reeves Batman film seem to unite in is it is a very long commitment. And and I'll just, you know, leave it at that. And it's, be, it, it, it's very successful. But once again, when it, this article says, that it appears that DC punches up against Marvel, Spider-Man No Way Home, I mean, shattering records. In, in, in the rage of a pandemic, 
the, the, the Omicron variant was like every day it's getting worse, it's getting worse. But people were packing in theaters. They just didn't care. They wanted to get their taste of Spider-Man. You'll be like, but 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 Batman's a new start. Hey, Batman is the biggest the biggest weapon in the DC arsenal. And and uh, regardless of the situations, those did not that did not hamper Spider-Man, which was not previously the biggest arsenal in the Marvel, you know, chamber in 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 the mar in in the Marvel cupboards. I mean, they 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 had had bigger and more successful franchises, but wow, Spider-Man came back roaring. Batman has done very very well, probably shy of what they expected to be honest, because anything less than a billion, it's that brand new you know expectation that Marvel has put on everything. And that's not me, you guys. That is not me. And I'm not giving you a talking point. It is something that, it, it is it is the way the rules of the game have shifted. It is the way the conversations have been altered. And so I wish DC all the luck. This new boss, he wants accountability. He wants creativity. He wants somebody to come in and streamline them, streamline their operations so that they can be even more competitive with what's going on over at Marvel, who is going into their second decade of, you know, building this monster success. And, uh, and, and, and they have the freedom because of the success that they've achieved to do, you know, some, some really avant-garde, some really um, um, experimental type fare and works uh, in, in the way that something like a Moon Knight is, which I'm very much enjoying. It's very indie. It's very edgy. It's, it's not a, a, a straight down the middle uh, uh, you know, um, runaway home run, but I like it. I love it. I love that, that the freedom is there because Marvel has earned it because they just keep, they've got that trust. And now we will take all manner of different rides with them. The other week I, 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 I pontificated about Marvel getting into the Western business and people are like, well, there's not really success in Westerns. And I'm like, excuse me, power the dogs up for all these Oscars. Yellowstone's a giant hit. 1883 is a hit. And this weekend, Josh Brolin, of Cable of Thanos fame is launching, you know, Outer Range, a supernatural Western. People, Westerns are back. Seeing Marvel in the Western game would be fantastic. I'm not giving up hope. So here's the deal. Here's the part that we're going to have some fun with today's podcast as we wrap things up by giving you a really fun story I have never, ever before shared. It involves DC Comics. It involves Marvel Comics. Let me set the stage for you. Yes, did DC and Image Comics, I'm sorry, I said Marvel. Does it, it involves DC Comics, it involves Image Comics. Yes, DC and Image were in talks, I have never shared this publicly, to um, merge in 1995. Let me set the stage for you. Yes, as you are like, what, is he serious? I'm absolutely serious. I'm going to give you the time, the places, the players, and uh, they're, they're, they're big components. We're talking Todd McFarlane, we're talking Jim Lee, we're talking Rob Liefeld, we're talking Image Publisher Larry Martyr, we are talking... DC publisher Paul Levitz. We are talking my room, my hotel room in New York City, the Mark Hotel. My wife uh, in in a adjacent room as we have this meeting. It is Toy Fair, 1995. Todd McFarlane is there. He has his big new um, toy display. His second year of toys is going great. He's um, previewing the Youngblood, the Wetworks lines, all the expansion into the Image Comics catalog. Um, we have had this meeting on the books because it was uh, at the end of the year in 1994, I started talking to Jim Lee. I started talking to Todd McFarlane, perhaps out of boredom or out of just pie in the sky. Like, wouldn't it be fun if we did this? What if we were in fact going to merge 
with uh, DC Comics. You know, uh, a, a gaming company called Acclaim had bought Valiant, and we didn't know exactly how that was going to shake out yet. And there was talks that Marvel was buying the Malibu catalog. So there was a lot of mergers going on. There was mergers, mergers behind the scenes, mergers on the brain. I had called up Todd. I put this forth to him. I said, would you sell, spawn your stuff to DC if we could come up with a equity relationship, enough money up front, a back-end deal, a merger of sorts where we would be an entity alongside DC and we could utilize their characters, Batman, all, you know, Todd had already done Spawn, Batman, maybe two by that time. I put this forth, and much to my shock, Todd was like, I, I'd investigate that. I'd, I'd, I'd have those talks. Sure, why not? Well, hung up the phone, called Jim Lee, walked down the same road with him. Hey, Jim, what do you think? What if we teamed up with, with, with DC? What if they bought us? What if we got a big cash out? Um, and then, and then we could place our characters all alongside them. And he was like, you know what? I'd be up for it. The psychology of all of us, as I just said, I would probably paint as, um, very intrigued by all the other mergers, acclaim valiant video game company, comic book company, Marvel buying Malibu, a comic book company, swallowing another comic book company whole. And it was like, well, maybe this new era of mergers and competitiveness is upon us. Maybe we should be a part of it. Well, with Jim and Todd both on the same page in, in regards to investigating it, I went to Larry Martyr, the publisher of Image Comics. I laid out my plan. He said, Rob, I'll make some calls. I'll talk to Paul Levitz. I'll see if we can put something together. Lo and behold, it came back that Paul Levitz was indeed absolutely interested in investigating exactly this path. So we are off to the races. The date is set. It's going to be in February. It's going to be during Toy Fair, DC is still located in New York Comics at New York, <laughs> New York Comics, New York City at the time, and uh, Jim and Todd and myself are going to be in town, and we can meet at my hotel. Again, I'm at, I'm at a really nice hotel called the Mark in Manhattan, and uh, I've gotten an extra adjoining suite, and we can have the meeting there and kind of be hush hush, and so the time you know, rolled on. It was probably eight o'clock in the evening. Jim showed, Todd showed, and Larry shows. And here comes Paul Levitz. Again, I've, I've told you guys, I've talked to Paul Levitz a great many times over the years. His whole speech about being number two and how we're the best number two. And when you're number two, nobody bothers you. And you don't, you know, they don't say, hey, how come you're not number one? They're just happy that you're number two. All of these philosophies I picked up with him over the years. And especially during this time when we were having serious talks of combining our efforts. So Paul arrives. I remember he had a very, you know, uh, long overcoat and very gray. He's very dapper. He's in his jacket and in his tie and with his glasses. And we enter him into the suite and we all sit down and we discuss the possibilities put forth, how exciting it could be to have a shared universe space where our characters could get together all the time and team up Green Lantern and Youngblood and the Teen Titans and Wildcat and, you know, Spawn, Superman, Batman, and we had extensive talks about how this would shock and disrupt everyone. And yes, you can't even believe I'm telling you this, but this happened. I even went to my wife to get the name of the hotel. I'm like, I want to make sure I get this right on the air. As everything um, was going and we were back and forth, I got carried away. I'm going to tell you, I don't drink. I don't do drugs as much as I like to joke about it. I'm 
ridiculously clean to the point that I'm boring and uh, getting excited at this prospect. I mean, here's Paul Levitz. He's taking us seriously. Jim and Todd are in on this. We're going to do this. We're going to, we're going to, we're going to merge with DC. I jumped up on the Ottoman that was at the foot of the bed in this suite. Again, my wife is in an adjacent room. She's not in this room. And uh, I jumped up on the Ottoman and I, maybe it was too much caffeine, but I started thrusting back and forth very aggressively. And I said, Paul, DC and image, we'd be screwing the competition. Oh yeah. We'd be screwing the competition. Now, mind you, I am 28 years old, not the most mature 28 that you're going to encounter, but extremely excited. And I am doing the thrusting and gagging. And I think I saw Larry Martyr's mouth aghast at what I, I mean, I literally jumped from my chair up onto the ottoman. So I'm standing above everyone and I'm doing my thrust. And I think Todd is laughing because he's like, I can't believe this guy. He's nuts. And uh, Jim, I think is also kind of maybe ashen because he can't believe what I've done. Because Paul is very buttoned up uh, akin to an accountant or a lawyer. And I'm being a little outrageous. Well, Paul, look on Paul's face is literally Paul Levitz looks aghast. He looks aghast. How do I react to this? I, I read the room. I read that my act was a little over the top. I jumped down off the autumn and I'm like, ah, you know, it'd be great. It'd be great. Wouldn't it be great? And I sat back down, but that is one of the um, most powerful images I have during that period of me getting really excited. Paul, of course, said, well, what's the cost? We had already discussed the cost. The, the, the magic number was $40 million. And we said, look, the other guys will either come with us or they won't. And we'll just kind of refurbish what we all know is image. And maybe some of these guys are learning about this for the first time, but DC and image were in talks. Paul was a little concerned about the number in hindsight. Could we have been cheaper? Oh my gosh. Cause I think, you know, it was, you know, I mean, even if it was double what he paid Jim to get Wildstorm a couple years later, I mean, what a deal, what a deal. But I think we overwhelmed him. I think Todd was a bit of a, a, a wild card, but I definitely maybe brought too much uh, 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 big bro energy that night It with my thrusting back and forth. We would be screwing the competition. And uh, Paul, about 15, 20 minutes later, after we talked numbers and how this could work and how he would position this with his bosses, uh, and of course, there would be a toy component with Todd, given that he had his fledgling, not fledgling, a very successful, very successful toy line at the time. Um, Paul, thank you. Thank you guys. that You've got given me a lot to think about. I'm, I'm going to go talk to everybody and, and see if we can make this work. Well, ultimately, I heard back <laughs> from Larry Martyr that uh, it was probably a little too rich for Paul to pull off at that time. And 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 Larry goes, I, Rob, I'm, I'm just never going to get out of my mind you jumping up and, and, and the thrusting and, you know, Hey, I'm a big boy enough to know that maybe that cost the entire deal. And obviously maybe that deal wasn't the right deal to make in the first place because it didn't get made. There was no offer to tender. There was no offer to counter. Um, as, as, as I've told you guys in this podcast before, when we went to launch image comics and we went to Paul Levitz, cause Todd wanted them, give them a chance to turn down what we had, or perhaps, you know, give him and Jim, Batman books. And of course I'm like, well, I can make Youngblood and the Titans. And at the time that I was selling a million dollars a month and making over a hundred thousand dollars 
on the middle issues of X-Force. I said, hey, I just want to guarantee like the first 10 issues of whatever I do with you at DC, I want to guarantee $100,000. And he said, that's too much. And if you look at it, that Youngblood sold a million and put more than a million dollars of earnings into my pocket. And same with Jim and Todd on Spawn and Wildcats, number one, that you could see that that was, that was, that was short-sighted of him to not um, guarantee us $100,000 an issue, right? I mean, so again, the DC flexibility uh, wasn't, was always something that was, that was worrisome, but did we have a meeting in February, 1995, in which we seriously discussed the prospects that Image Comics and DC Comics would merge with DC purchasing us for $40 million. Yes, that happened. This is most likely the only time I have let this story um, get out there. It's not one that I have told a lot, but you on the 30th anniversary of Image, because it is the 30th anniversary of Image Comics right now as I'm talking to this, you deserve this story. The thrusting was a little much. The dollars were a lot, but uh, it, it, as we had proven already, uh, you know, the, the 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 payoff would have no doubt been uh, severe, uh, it, 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 very bountiful for DC down the line had they just, uh, 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 you know, maybe taken a flyer on us in that meeting. But $40 million, 1995, guilty as charged. That's a lot of money. And again, are, are we guilty that we didn't include Eric and Valentino and Mark at the time? We we did not. Um, because, come on, getting, getting a decision with six guys is, is obviously much harder than three guys. And we felt like, um, again, at the time, I just had a chart published, you know, the Extreme Studios families, and I've showed it before, Diamond and Capital distributors had printed that the Extreme family of titles was the number two family of titles in the comics industry behind X-Men, above Spider-Man and Batman. Yes, I can show it to you. It existed. It was a a year of, of, of huge sales for Extreme Studios as our titles were just climbing and climbing and climbing. So this wasn't something that was just harebrained and I think um, out of the question and, and, you know, I never had a personal discussion with Paul Levitz outside of that, you know, group meeting with Larry Martyr, myself, Jim Lee and Todd uh, we, we, and our ideas and concepts being shared that night. It never w- went any farther than that with me. I didn't have a follow-up with Paul. I trusted in that Larry was taking care of things and, you know, we'll never know how that was going to work out, but you deserve to know that that did in fact go down. It was on the table. Um, what, you know, you maybe, maybe we can look at it as the precursor to what happened three years later when DC would buy Jim and Jim has been at DC now 23, 23 years longer again, as I've said, than any other company. You guys, what a crazy comic book career. What a crazy 30 years this has been. Things are changing. They're changing rapidly. That's why we're here to discuss them. It'll be interesting. You've got a new buyer at Discovery Warner, who is aggressive. This guy smells it. He wants to maximize. He senses everything that he's putting out there. He thinks they can do better than they're doing now. Can they? Will they? We are all going to watch, and we're going to discuss it as it happens in real time, because th- th- there is definitely a new sheriff in town over at Dis- Warner Brothers Discovery, and, uh, and and he is looking to shake things up, and, and it's just going to be a matter of time until we see exactly what form that shakeup comes. I'm here for it. I hope you're here for it. Uh, we'll, we'll be on top of it. The entirety, as it all plays out uh, in, in the weeks and months to come.
So we all have a lot to watch uh, as, as everything unfolds over there, uh, as things just begin to get interesting with uh, Warner Brothers, Discovery, DC Comics, all of it. This is the time, the end of our show, that I share with you guys the wonderful comments and reviews that you give this show that we need so badly. It helps us stand out. I appreciate it so much when you guys uh, share your reviews across all the different platforms uh, that you listen to us. Thank you so much. You guys Our our numbers are, are surging. We are through the roof. I have you to thank for that. Thank you. I am so excited that you guys are enjoying the show today. Review comes uh, from Bob Katz 99, Bob Katz 99 writes, Rob, I love your podcast. I love all things nineties. I love when you talk about nineties comics and I wish that you would talk about more stories from the nineties with your fellow creators from the nineties. Wow. Bob Katz 99 likes the nineties and I am excited that you're excited. I'll try and give you more stories like I did today from the nineties, DC, come on. And, and, and image comics talking about a merger, talking about a buyout. Thank you, Bobcats. Thank you so much for leaving uh, five stars. You gave us five stars. Thank you so much. I appreciate it. I appreciate when you guys um, leave the reviews. I read them at the end of each and every episode. Thank you again. I am all over social media. I am on Twitter at Robert Liefeld, the whole name. No breaks. Robert Liefeld. I got a blue check. That tells you it's really me. At Instagram, I am at Rob Liefeld. Another blue check tells you it's really me. I love all of the talks and the conversations we're having lately. So much, so much chatting going on uh, between the comments, the DMs, uh, the messaging, the, the mentions. Thank you guys. I love, truly love hearing from you guys. Love sharing with you guys. Let's keep it up. Um, again, it's, it's the great thing about social media is how it connects us. You guys, you're going to take good care of yourselves. You're going to have fun. You're going to read comics, watch good movies. You're going to play with your kids. You're going to play with toys and games and relax. The world went nuts when we weren't looking, but that doesn't mean that we have to go nuts. So, so, so take it from me. Your mental, emotional, physical well-being is of utmost importance to me. And I am rooting for you. And I hope uh, to feel the same vibes kept coming back my way. Guys, make sure that you circle back for the next episode where I will be waiting because we most definitely will talk again real soon. 